right, Mark chapter number two, and uh, we haven't missed any time. Uh, I know we missed the last couple weeks. Uh, last week there was just literally just Gerald and I showed up, so we, we went home early. But uh, we'll, uh, we, we haven't missed anything, so we're here in chapter two. Um, I want to go back up here and pick up in verse number 18 and uh, grab a couple light things through here uh, before next week ending the chapter really uh, on this issue of uh, with the Sabbath. But uh, 2.18, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they came and say unto him, Why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And again, that's this issue here of fasting and so forth. Uh, um, <laughs> Mark, he's not messing around. He's stick. He, it's an important thing to follow here, how he does it. Bam, bam, bam. We're not holding back. We're right in it. And the issue here in verse 18, where we're talking about the issue of fasting. Now, the, the question that they ask, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but you're not, is a legitimate question, okay? It's not a question out of ignorance or not, you know, kind of a, a goading question. It's literally a question that we're, basically they're saying, we're not getting what's going on here. What is going on? What are we missing? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And in order to make you think about the answer to your question, he asks a question. And he's asking the question. You never answer a question with the question, they say. Well, the Lord's the Lord. He's going to do what he wants to do. So he's asking a question here to cause them to come to the conclusion on their own. They say, we're missing something, and he's like, okay, then let's figure, you need to figure this out. So the, what does the Lord say? Well, can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bride, uh, bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Obviously, the answer is no. Okay, so... The reason is, is that the bride chamber, the children of the bride chamber are not uh, mourning because the bridegroom is there, all right? If the bride, when the bridegroom leaves, then they will fast in that time of mourning, verse 20. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So obviously, all through Scripture, the bridegroom is the Lord, the Messiah. The bride, the bride is Israel, or the bride, the children of the bride chamber. Really, here is specifically talking about the little flock, and the, that believing remnant. As so, you have this bride and bridegroom thing that flows all through Israel's history, where they are literally restored back to one another. And uh, that, that's really not the, the focus here in the, in the chapter, but that is the case. So when he says, verse 19, 
Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So when the, bri the bridegroom is here, there's no fasting, there's just rejoicing. There's joy, there, there's a, it's a happy time. Because there's going to be a time when he's going to leave and be gone. And when that happens, then they'll fast, and then they, the, that period of mourning. So the issue here is that there's some people that are understand what's going on. The children of the bride chamber understand that the bridegroom is there. He's present with them. He, so they, what, rejoice, they're happy. But then there's another group of people who don't understand what's going on. They don't see the Messiah as being there. So they are fasting. They are mourning. They think all is lost. There's no hope. So they're out here trying to fast. Now, last time we studied, I made a comment about there, there's only one fast for Israel, and it has to do with the Day of Atonement. And, and if you look back with me to Leviticus 23, I, I uh, was questioned on it, and I had to go find it. And uh, if you just look here in, in Leviticus 23... Uh, I'll show you here. So when you talk about fasting, this isn't the day of Pentecost. It's the day of atonement. Uh, there, there's, there, there's an issue that's happening in Mark, but just catch Leviticus 23, verse 27, just on a side here, okay? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 26, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement, it shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall, now watch, afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Verse 29, for whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in the same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. That issue of being affli afflicting, afflicting your souls, that is the issue of fasting. Come over and look at Isaiah chapter 58 just on one more here so in israel the only fast that's going to happen is going to be on the day here isaiah 58 gotta get there and verse 3 isaiah 58 and verse 3 wherefore have we fasted say they and thou seest not wherefore have we a afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge behold in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exalt all your labors see how afflicted and fast is kind of bounced back and forth so when you come back to mark 2 here what's happening with the pharisees and what's happening here is that they they are they've taken this issue of fasting and prayer, we'll see here in just a minute, and they've added that into their tradition. They've added a false humility issue. So in, in back here in Mark 2, the issue here, think about where we're at. He just called Matthew. He's the publican. He's the traitor of all traitors. He's a Jew who's aligned himself with the Roman Empire to, collect, to afflict his, his people, Jesus sits down, verse 15. I'm in Mark 2, Mark 2, 15. 
And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. So he's got this big, he sits and he eats with the traders. There's many gathered all up together here. Verse 16, the Pharisees, and when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eat and drinketh with publicans and sinners? How, what are you doing? How can you do that? So the Lord says, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, see, the Pharisees didn't think they needed a Savior. The publicans and the sinners, they knew they needed a Savior. So you got the two groups here within the nation. The Pharisees don't get that the Messiah is in their presence. They're trusting their own tradition, their own human effort, their own religion. And Jesus says, looking at them and saying, look, guys, you don't know what's going on. That's why you're fasting. I'm here. The, I'm in your presence it's a time to be rejoicing and getting on with the program, and you guys are just stalled out at the door. There's going to be a time when you're going to need to fast. It's coming. But right now, it isn't. So the, the basic issue in this passage here is that when no... They're not staying up with the progressive revelation that God's giving them in the program. Jesus, with John the Baptist, something has started new. Back in chapter 1 there, verse 14, he's talking about preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's something new. The program is advancing. There's an advanced revelation now. The forerunner has come. He's announced that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah has come, preaching and showing. He's, he's preaching the word, and he's validating his ministry, his credentials, who he is with it. Come on over to Mark 9. He, they're, but they are not keeping up with the program. No, and by the way, nor are the disciples of John. They, they're asking the question, too. Again, it's not an illegitimate question. It's a legitimate concern. We're missing something. What's going on? Keep up here. They're not keeping up. So the reason that I love the Lord, hey, the reason my disciples aren't fasting is because they get what's going on. They're caught up. They're on board with it. Now, in Mark 9, there's a passage here that gets really messed up by folks, okay? And chapter 2 helps understand that. So in chapter 2, the fasting is connected with not keeping up with the advanced in the, in the revelation. They've fallen behind, so they're fasting. The, one, the group of people that are on board, up to date, right there, they're not fasting. They're rejoicing. They're enjoying the Messiah. Now watch Mark 9, verse 28. And, and again, this is a passage that people really just kind of mess themselves up, all right? 
So, you've got a miracle here where the disciples try to cast out a demon and they can't do it. Now, the Lord gets there and he does it, but look at verse 28. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? We couldn't cast out the devil. Why? Again, if you go back up to verse 17, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whosoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth away his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. They can't do it. We can't do this. We had the power previously, and now we don't have the power. So, so why did we lose the power? What happened here? That's, the, that's what they're asking. Again, legitimately concerned. Hey, we had this. We were good to go, and now we're dead in the water. What's going on? Verse 29. And he said unto them, This kind, talking about the devil that was there, the, 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 the demon. The spirit, sorry, not the demon, but the spirit, the dumb spirit. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Notice what, notice that. This kind can come forth, sorry, not from, but forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So what does the religious guys do? Time for a revival. They use this passage to, hey, let's go. We got the problem. We see it. It's time for revival. We're going to do prayer and fasting, and off we go. And we're going to, we're going to purge everything out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're not, you know, hey, we're not praying enough. We're not fasting enough. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing here. And we can't move the mountain because we don't have enough faith and all this stuff. And they just twist this passage all around but what is 929 really talking about think about that prayer asking God to do something but it has to be coupled with fasting well what did we just learn in chapter 2 about fasting why why were the disciples fasting because the Messiah is what? Gone. Why would his disciples fast? They're gone. Why aren't they fasting? Why are they rejoicing? Messiah's here. Okay? They, one group understood the advancement in the program. The other group didn't. The one group understanding the advancement knows that one day the Messiah is going to go. So if you're keeping up with the advance revelation in the program, you're keeping up with things, you'll be okay. And the issue in fasting is that, that it indicates that they understood where they're at. To fast or not to fast. Where are we at? Where are we at in the program? You follow that? Okay. Now look, look over at chapter 8. And look at verse 27. Because notice something. And Jesus went out and his disciple uh, went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. 
And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. Who do they say I am? And then they give, okay, verse 29. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ, you're the Messiah. We know who you are. And, what are they, and they're going to rejoice. Verse 30, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. So they know who he is. They rejoice in it. They're excited in it. Now watch verse 31. And he began to teach them. So if he begins to teach them, that means they weren't doing it prior to this point. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed. And after three days, what? Rise again. There... He began, so not prior, but he begins now to show them something new. This is going to become an advancement in the revelation. Prior to this point, they didn't know anything about the death, burial, and resurrection. They don't get it. Prior to this, they had been preaching what? Repent for the kingdom of... For, they've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And guess what was not a part of the gospel of the kingdom of God? The death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't know this. They're not keeping up with the pro. They're not. They don't know about it at all. Now the prophets had warned them about it and had prophesied, but they didn't get that. They're now they're being educated. They have some new information here. They're with the Messiah. They're rejoicing. When the Messiah is going to leave, what are they going to do? They're going to fast. They're going to mourn. Okay, now they're when they they're learning what's going to happen to him. He's about to be taken away. So then, what should they do? Fast. That's what they should do. But watch verse thirty-two. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and hugged him and loved him and thanked him for the no. What did he do? He rebuked him. Look at. Peter's reaction he didn't get it he doesn't like it he goes on you know you go over there to Luke 18 and you read the passage over there in Luke 18 and so forth where he begins to show them they didn't believe him they don't know they didn't know about it they don't get it actually in John over there in John 19 after the resurrection they still didn't understand the scriptures they're still they're blockheads so then in, you know, they're, they're not doing what? Progressing. They're not keeping up in the new progressive revelation here. They're not getting there. So when you come back across the page to chapter 9, verse 29, and he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He's saying to them, Listen, you guys are not keeping up with the program. That's why you couldn't do the miracle. What was, what's the revelation in the program? Death, burial, and resurrection. Peter rebuked it. These guys, hey, you ask him. No, you ask him. And they're not going to. And he's like, you guys aren't keeping up with the program. So the reason why you couldn't cast that dude out is because you were not keeping up with the program. 
they have to keep up with that advancing, and they're not doing it. They weren't keeping up with it, so when Jesus Christ comes up, then he takes care of the situation. Come back to Mark chapter 2. But the point is, is what chapter 2 helps us with, is it says, listen, Fast. The reason why you're fasting and we're not fasting is because you're not keeping up with the advancing, and they are. Now, if you think about this, if they weren't keeping up with the advancing and the revelation and it was causing them problems in their ministry, now you can understand why the church, the body of Christ, is so wacky. Because what have they failed to do? Same thing. They failed to keep up with what? The progressive revelation given to the Apostle Paul and, all, and so forth. So when you think about this in Mark here, it's like, huh, that's pretty cool. You know, it's an interesting thing here. What does chapter 2 tell us? It explains to us what fasting is all about. It's, and it has nothing to do with not eating. I don't eat on Wednesdays. I'm here, I'm working. I don't eat till about 4.35 when I go up to a restaurant and grab a bite to eat real quick, you know, and that's it, because, but that's not fasting, you know, there's a big thing, intermediate fasting, where you, you pick your chuck where you're going to eat, and everything else you don't eat, I'm sitting there going, I couldn't do it, I tried, and I know I've lost weight, but I, I did, I tried, I'm like, all right, nothing till noon, man, 930, I'm in there scarfing it down, forget about it, you know, so I'm like, all right, well, let's have breakfast, and then we'll well, intermediate fast in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know. I was asked at the meeting the other day what my favorite food was. I said, whatever was in front of me, because <laughs> it really is. I, there's not much that I don't enjoy eating. But uh, anyway, so that's what's happening here. Now, verse 21. Uh, I believe this is really kind of where we left off last time, but we'll pick up here. Verse 21. Again, don't miss the issue here. The issue is, is that one group is keeping up and the other group is not. And the Lord's dealing with the, the little flock, that believing remnant, they're keeping up so far. The Pharisees aren't. Now watch verse 21. Because here's some further explanation of all of this. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up take, taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into an old bottle, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. So we've got this contrast of old and new. And this is very important here to grasp. Old and new. So you don't take the old piece of cloth and put in new because what will happen? Well, the old is brittle. It'll, it'll just keep tearing. And it, so that won't work. You don't take old wine, new wine and put it in an old bottle. You put it in a new bottle. The old skins the old, become brittle. They're not, they can't handle the fermentation process, the bubbling, the boiling, all of that stuff. So you got to put it in a new one. So when you take something that's old, you're not going to shove it into something new. You're going to take 
So you got the old is do, beginning to do what? Vanish away. And the new is beginning to show up. So you don't put the new and the old, and you don't mingle the two together. Now, look over with me at Matthew 6, real quick, on, on our way to Hebrews 8. Matthew 6. Because when Christ, here you have Christ out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what does he say? Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. They're to seek what? They're to seek the kingdom of God. So the question, now come over to Hebrews 8. So the question is, is does the kingdom come in under the old covenant or the new covenant? The new, well, it comes in under the new covenant. Uh, Hebrews 8, starting in verse 7. When the new covenant shows up, What's happening to the old covenant? It's going away. Hebrews 8, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, the people, they couldn't keep the first. He saith, Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. And you read all the way down to verse 12, which is Jeremiah 31. And he quotes Jeremiah 31. So the old had a fall to it. It was temporary, really. But the new one, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, get the numbers right, comes in. And what's it going to do? Well, look at verse 13. Hebrews 8, 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So a new covenant, he made the what? The first old. So you've got this old, then you've got this new. And when the new shows up, what does it make the old do? Vanish away. Go away. Why? Why does the old vanish away? Because the new showed up. So until the new shows up, what's in charge? The old. That's why Galatians 4, he says that uh, the Lord was made of a woman, made under the law. He's underneath that old covenant. Now come back to Matthew, uh, Mark 2. So when he says here in Mark 2, what, that's what Mark 2 is illustrating. Look, guys. The old covenant, the old garment is going to be replaced with a new garment for the nation. That old bottle, the, the old, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, you guys are white sepulchers, whited fence, got garbage inside, but you outside, that old bottle, the the kingdom underneath the Pharisees, that vain religious system, the Jews' religion, guess what? It's going to go into a new bottle, a new vessel, that little flock, that believing remnant. So the new covenant isn't going to be forced into a, the old system. 
the old vain religious system that Israel had developed. He's not going to... He, he's not putting it back there. Rather, he's going to come over here now and put it in a new nation, a new vessel. So it's new into new, if you will. You know, he's going to take that. Well, he says it to him there in oh, Luke 12. Look over at Luke 12. Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Matthew 21, verse 43. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, talking to the Pharisees, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. What's he doing? He's, not ta he's taking the old, Matthew 21, 43, and he's, you're done. Get out of here. Here's the new. It's going into a new nation. He's putting it into that redeemed nation. Not that old religious, vain religion, not that old setup, but this new. Now, when he talks here about new wine, come back with me to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Yes, your sweater has been waiting for you to wear it. <laughs> Isaiah 65. Now, we've talked about wine and other studies and so forth, but I want you to notice how what's happening in Mark here is exactly what the prophet was talking about. Isaiah 65, verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me. Behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face that sacrificed in the gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick. He's talking about establishing the little flock, getting rid of the rebellious people. They are in complete and total apostasy. Verse 4, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, and both of abominable things is in their vessels, which say, by the way, great description there of the activity of Baal worship. Israel is controlled by it. You will remember, we'll get over in a little bit here, and we'll see that Legion guy. And where does he cast the, the numbers into? Into the swine. There they are. Which, and by the way, they're eating swine's flesh. That's a no-no according to the law. They're not to have that pig. They're to stay away from that. Verse 5, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. 
These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all day. They say this, and what they're saying is what Luke 18, that Pharisee says as he looks at that publican and beats on his chest, and he says, hey, I am not like that sinner. I tithe in this, I'm doing this. And, and he, he pumps up his self-righteousness. That's what he's doing in verse 5. Verse 6, behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense unto their bosom. God's going to take them and he's going to burn them up. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 32, he's going to clean them out. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon, mount, upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. Look at, notice how new wine and blessing and servant are all kind of connected here in a thought. Verse 9, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell. So what he's describing in 8 and 9 with the new wine and the blessing and the servant is that little flock that holy nation, that righteous, that holy priesthood, that priest, that nation of priests. He's developing them. So when you come back to Mark 2, that's exactly what he's going to now do in verse 23 and following. Okay? He's going to do exactly what we just said in Isaiah. He's going to look over there. He's going to destroy the rebel, rebellious people. And he's going to hook in and he's going to call out a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah. And that little flock is going to come there. Now watch him do it. Matthew two, uh, two I'm sorry, Mark 2, 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Look at that. They, they're going to... They, now, it's on the Sabbath day. It's not lawful. And what are they doing? They're plucking the corn. Now, they're not stealing the corn. That's something you've got to catch here. Come back with me to Deuteronomy 23. You have to remember this as we go through this. They're not stealing the corn. They're plucking the corn. Uh, there's a... Deuteronomy 23, 24. We'll just read the verses here and we'll chuckle about them. 23, 24. There, when thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, when thou mayest, then, uh, then thou mayest eat grapes, thy fill at thine own pleasure... But thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. So you can graze on your neighbor's grapes till you're full. But you can't do what? Put them in the bucket. So you know when you're in the strawberry patch 
and you go one for the belly, one for the bucket, one for the belly, one for, you can't do the bucket part. You can eat your fill. So there's a provision here. <coughs> you can eat it, you're hung, if you're hungry and you eat it, you just can't steal it. You can't put it in your bucket and then go down the road and sell it and make profit. Verse 25, when thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. Don't harvest it. By the way, if we're in the harvest, think about where we're at in our feast schedule. We're Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, so we're in that first fruits. We're not to Pentecost yet. We're in that first fruits. Great pictures here of where we're at. So don't steal it. It's okay to eat it. It's okay. Uh, come back over to Leviticus 23. It's okay to, to go in and to, they call these the gleanings, is what they call this at harvest time. Uh, Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Harvest time. They call it, they, uh, in Israel's program, again, it's called the gleanings. Uh, Leviticus 23, 22. 23, 22. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. They, your God. They reap the harvest, but what do they leave? They leave the corners, the gleanings, and they leave that for the poor and the stranger. So God has made a provision for the poor in Israel and for the stranger to come and receive a blessing from Israel. Israel harvests it up. They get the bulk of it, but what do they do? They leave the corner. In the agriculture, in the farming, I was down in Casa Grande one time working on an appraisal years ago. And they, this is before they built up really bad across the freeway. And there was a cotton farm out there. And I noticed that they, that they, you know, the cotton bales are all around. But there's still a lot of stuff in the field. And I was talking to the guy. I was appraising his home. And he worked at the cotton farm down the road. So I was asking him about it. And he said, well, when we go through in the tractor, we leave about 20% on the stalk. It gets left over. Then they go and they run through it again, and then they leave about 3%. That 3% is the gleaning, is the leftover. And, and it's just something to do with how they do it. But the, remember Ruth and Boaz's field? She's in the gleanings. She's not in the main harvest body. She's in the gleaning area, okay? So when you come back here to Mark 2, the thing in Mark 2, 23, they're in the field plucking it, so they're not stealing it. They can eat it. It's legitimate. The problem is it's the Sabbath day. Now, next time we'll talk about the Sabbath day a little, a little bit more. But notice what the guys say in verse 24. 
The Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not, what? Lawful. They say it's not lawful to do what they're doing on the Sabbath day. Now, come over to Luke 13. But you remember the passages about helping if the ox is in the ditch? You know, and it's a Sabbath day. They're to go and do what? Help them. It's not unlawful to help. And that's because the Sabbath day is a ceremonial day. It's not has nothing to do with the moral issue. The, the ceremonial day is representing something, you know, that God's trying to teach Israel. It's not a moral issue. The moral issue, life and death, whether it's animal or human, that prevails over the law of the Sabbath, if you will. Look at Luke 13, and look at verse 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to what? To watering? Isn't that interesting? Your animal needs what? Attention. It's on the Sabbath day. What are you doing? If you don't go feed the animal and water the animal, what's, the, what's going to happen to the animal? Potential death. That's a moral issue. Chapter 14, look at verse 5. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? The, and that's the point. The point is, is it's lawful to do this. It's lawful to do what the disciples did. And the Pharisees knew it. They understood that. So then when they say, back there in Mark 2, that it's not lawful, it's not lawful because it's against their rules. Come back to Mark 7. That's the point here. You see, they have done something. Isaiah 65, what's he going to do to that rebellious people? Who, by the way, they are offering sacrifices on the mountains and all this stuff. They've got all of this religious activity going on. And the Lord says, I'm just going to burn them up. And I'm going to pull my seed out. And I'm going to do my thing with my servants. And they're going to be a blessing. Look at Mark 7, verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, now holding the tradition of the elders. Not God's word, but the tradition. Look at verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. The end of verse 9, that ye may keep your own tradition. Verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Verse 7, you see, they got a tradition, and their tradition says, we don't do on the Sabbath. But when there's a moral issue come up, 
then what now we got a dilemma. Mark 7, 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines of the commandments of men. They're appealing to God on their own basis, and it's vain. It's a vain religious system. It's totally worthless. Okay? So when you come back to Mark 2, and he says here, hey, they're not doing that which is not lawful. It isn't against one of the Ten Commandments or the law of God. It's against their tradition. That's the thing. It's contradicting their religious tradition. Now watch Christ answer them, verse 25. And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful. Now that broke the rules. That broke Moses' rules, okay? To eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. Now, I love that. Have ye never read what David... Haven't you read your Bible? <laughs> you know, Romans 4, we got the placard above the, the doors coming in. What saith the Scripture? <laughs> haven't you ever read this? Now, David was in need. He, he and his merry band of men were hungry. And maybe next time we'll go to 1 Samuel 21 and, and go through that. But he had a need. So what did David do? He went to the high priest. He didn't just go in, barge in and do it. He went to the high priest. The high priest turns and feeds them. They eat the showbread, verse 26. Again, by God's word, what Moses said, it was wrong for them to do, but what was but the showbread is just a ceremonial thing. What's the moral issue? These guys are hungry. They're in need. David eats it. Now, Again, he's the king. He doesn't belong in the temple. But he goes, by the way, in 1 Samuel 21, he does it when there's a usurper on the throne, King Saul. See, he's not, he's not out of line here. And the high priest gives it to him <laughs> to eat. So there's a difference here in the ceremonial things, which the showbread is. It's a ceremonial thing, and the moral issues. And really, when the moral, what happens when they collide and they come in conflict? Well, what's more important here, the ceremonial or the moral? And that's really kind of what the Lord's after with them in this. Uh, come over with me to John 7. Let's just notice an illustration here from our study through the Gospel of John. John 7, verse 22. John 7, 22. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. 
If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Now, man, look at that. What two symbols? Circumcision. Genesis 17, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The Sabbath. The sign of the Mosaic covenant. Exodus 31. Bam. Those two symbols collide. They, they're both ceremonial. They conflict now. The eighth day, you're going to circumcise him. Well, that eighth day fell on what day of the week? The Sabbath day. What did they do? They circumcised him. So they're saying that circumcision takes precedent, precedent, excuse me, because it's more fundamental to who they are as a nation. That's the identifying component. So the Sabbath, even though it's one of the ten, isn't a fundamental issue to them being a nation, but that issue of circumcision is. So when the symbols clash, the moral issue takes the precedent issue of circumcision. Now, the tradition of the elders has no sway or say in any of this. And the Pharisees know it. That's the problem. So when you come back to Mark 2, and again, we'll, we'll, the hour is almost up, and we'll grasp the Sabbath day question next time. But notice verse 27. Let's just read the two verses, and then we'll look at them, the Sabbath thing a little more in depth next time. And he said unto them, 2.27, Mark 2.27, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Notice, the Sabbath is a symbol, and it was made for man. It was made to serve man. Man was not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve man. And that's key in this, because usually what do we think? Well, here we go, over here and do this. No, it's not that at all. They had, well, verse 28, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. That's the whole point. Who, who is talking to them? The Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, He is. The one who will bring into operation God's purpose in the Sabbath. The Sabbath symbolizes something. And He's going to be the one that's going to bring it in to fruition, into reality. In Jesus Christ, He's there. The Messiah is there. And He comes to take care of to reestablish the purpose of the Sabbath in Israel, put it into operation, however you need to think about it. By the way, Genesis 2, who established the Sabbath? The Creator did. Who is the Creator? The Lord Jesus Christ. There He is. He said, basically, He said, look, I, I, established, I created the Sabbath for a purpose, for a reason. 
and I'm going to put that purpose, that reason, into operation. Now, the Pharisees have no idea of what's going on. They have no idea of who he is. Or, also, they have no idea what is at the core of the gospel, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, again, what the Sabbath is all about, we'll get into next time. Okay? But just kind of catch what's happening here. The nation is right where Isaiah 65 said they're going to be. He's right where he's supposed to be. They don't get what's going on, so what are they over there doing? They're fasting. They look over, they see the disciples rejoicing, having a good time. Could you imagine being at the party at Matthew's house? They're having a good time. And they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And the Lord, he's going to educate them, but they don't get it. They just don't get it, okay? Now, next week we'll do the Sabbath question. It'll be the fourth time we've looked at this because we've looked at it in all four Gospels. But it's critical to have that, one, for the teaching, but two, to just kind of remind ourselves of it in our thinking. And the Sabbath issue is something that gets so neglected in true understanding from Scripture, and hopefully next time we'll be able to give you that. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the study of it, for the look into it, to, to gain the, the little nuggets of information of what you're doing uh, for and with the nation of Israel, but then also what you'll do with them out in the future. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.